Digital security is not just about reacting to the latest threats. It's about making security a strategic part of your business strategy. Hi, I'm Scott Smith for Gartner ThinkCast, and we want to go back to our discussion with some of Gartner's European-based security consultants. Terry Bebbington is the lead in Gartner's EMEA security consulting practice, and Robert Dartnell is the head of intelligence for that unit. They sat down with technical director Richard Morell for an extensive discussion on cybersecurity. Let's go back to their conversation as they were delving into the impact of the Internet of Things. So I'll send it back to you, Richard. The IoT world, Rob, how many times do you come across a company where they've got multiple devices, where they've got different versions of BusyBox and Windows embedded and da la 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 and, you know, they think, oh, yes, but IPv6 is going to fix this for us. <laughs> well, Terry and I actually work together quite a lot. And I think we were talking about how do you know what's secure? How can things be exploited, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of what we do is a lot of threat-based work. And then we lead on to a lot of simulated target work, so a lot of red teams. So we can actually exercise out all these different attacks. So we can start to try and secure these things, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. They're big exercises. You know, they're really interesting and fundamental to any organization. But, and this is the big but, when we walk in for that first meeting and say, okay, for us to do this, Describe your infrastructure for it to And they can't. Tell me where your data is. What are your crown jewels? They can't. And when they do, we will then go off on top of our intelligence collection, i.e., let's look at your digital footprint so I can find out how I'm going to attack you. We're finding stuff that they haven't got a clue that they own. And um, that's not unusual. I mean, Rob, do you remember that time we did that piece of work for one client where we came back and said, this is your network architecture? And they took it and said, thank you, that's the best pitch we've had. Yeah. I know. (laughs) It happens. But it's scary and you think they're spending hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars on kit and architecture and planning. And very often, you know, it's sort of put together on the back of a packet of small investors. And you think the risk owners in the business, all of those people who are the rock stars in those organisations, and you're exposing them for essentially not having the knowledge that they think they have, the stakeholders in the company. It must be difficult sometimes. Because you're showing them their pants. Well, I think one is, how do you... Show them their pants. Okay. So in other words, you don't basically want to let everyone see the colour of their underwear. So there's, that, there's one thing. But I think there's also, keep coming back to, this is a mindset thing, which is, you know, it's coming at somebody and saying, oh, you're really rubbish. That's me being polite, yeah? That's really not going to kind of get them bought into you and also what we're trying to achieve. And in a lot of cases, these people are unaware of these issues and these challenges. So I want to, you know, come back, Rob, to some of the engagements we've done. And and the real nice thing is actually showing people this is really what's happening. Because generally most people, not everybody, but most people, you know, once they see the problem, they want to do something about it. So showing them a problem in a way that is consumable is not, here's a big stick and you're really rubbish and my God, I'm happy to hit you with it. The framework structure that Gartner have built very much allows you to get a, it's soup to nuts, isn't it? It's end to end. Well, obviously, I'm going to say yes. But I think the um, thinking behind it is to basically do those very simple things, which is highlight where the problems are, the real problems, not perceived problems, provide evidence and insight into what those problems look like, and then subsequently, and I think this is where we kind of do differentiate with some of our competition and other organisations out there, is actually say, guys, you know, these are the fixes that you can make today. So... For example, jump on the WannaCry bandwagon. This is what you could do to stop that. These are the more medium to long-term 
remediation activities that you should consider. So in other words, here's some of the kind of, you know, advancements in the IoT space that you may want to consider. Or, you know, this is a new hot and upcoming service provider that's got some pretty cool stuff in this space that actually really does, you know, tick your boxes. Because we're independent, we're not kind of held to any one vendor or any one solution or any one service, which I think is a unique offering that, you know, a lot of our clients are interested in. I think the key thing, though, is how you position the problem. And I keep coming back to, if you come at someone with a big stick, generally people don't like that. But if you come at them with, this is kind of what we've seen and this is the real impact that potentially, you know, this bad thing, or actually this bad thing's not going to happen to you. I mean, that's still a positive story. So it's not all about basically telling the bad news. It's also about telling the good news. Again, I think it's, it's how you tell that story. I think for me, the, the important bit was actually the last bit as well. And that's how you show the evidence. One of the things we do very, very badly in security is how we disseminate our products. It's either super technical or it's for the board. You know, I think what we do well together is we are able to create something that always brings it back to the business. From a technical level, you know, when we look at these scenarios that we play out, you know, there's fallout there for the incident response teams, there's fallout for the SOC guys, there's then fallout for HR and there's fallout for the finance department, but there's fallout for the business uh, a C level as well. So they actually understand that this scenario that we've just played out actually played out to another organisation within your sector, roughly the same size and turnover. This was the consequences of the breach on their share price. These were the media headlines that happened exactly. So there's something in there for everybody, rather than always just being, here's a technical report of what you need to do. But I think that's the point, though, as well. I mean, it's not just, look, you know, we've got some really smart testers and they're guaranteed to get in and look how they did that and look at the flags and all that sort of stuff and marvellous. And everyone pats themselves on the back and goes away and that's it and the report gets buried somewhere within IT. It's more about the, as you say, actually highlighting you know how those scenarios are really impacting so are, you, are you are you basically saying you're taking them on a journey aren't you well that's the ideal and also i think the point as well is this isn't just about point in time it is about as you say enabling our clients and that's the thing i really stress as well is you know will we work with you to basically so you can get better at this and one of the nice things about the Gartner brand is it does elevate that conversation up so, you know, when we need to kind of sit down and speak to the head of legal in terms of how are we going to do that PR communication to the press, what is the legal position in this specific, you know, crisis management scenario, the brand actually kind of elevates that conversation up quite quickly. And also for the CISO or the head of security that's kind of potentially down in the IT weeds, it brings them up as well. So they're actually at the top table having those conversations with the movers and shakers and the decision makers to actually... But Rob, how many times have you been in what I would call like the Tiger team, proverbial hitting the fan after the event where it's wash up, it's okay, what's the worst case scenario, what hosts have been compromised, what potential data has been compromised, whereas now in the brave new world of continuous integration, continuous deployment, people are starting to talk about things like continuous audit which has never been done before. And I'm sure when I talk to the auditors, they all give me a different story. They're all trying to invent it as quickly as they can because right now it's still that profitable three-week-a-year activity where they turn up and everyone locks everything down so they can't find anything. It's a brave new world, and you're at the forefront of it because essentially you're having to try and explain to these people what risk looks like and tastes like. Do you think the penny's starting to drop? It is. 
I think the people that we've been working with, when they start seeing continuous intelligence, continuous risk, continuous auditing, continuous monitoring, continuous response, all of these things, you know, the human being in itself is changing. We are continuous people because we receive massive amounts of data on a continuous basis through our, mm -hmm. our daily lives. So we as humans are changing, we as business people are changing, we in business are changing. So we know that all of these things that we were doing as singular events previously now have to be continuous events. When people start adopting that and they realize the benefits of it and the ease of it and the need for it and how they become much more responsive and agile is, um, I, I'm sorry to use that word in that context. But but, but, no, no, but it is right to use it in that context. But again, let, let's turn it back into the developer circle. How many times have you gone into organizations where they've got their agile scrum and there's no security representation in there whatsoever? I know, and I really am apologizing for this, but I have to flag the intelligence flag again. And what we were talking about earlier was, and in direct relation to this, is security and intelligence is the pre-work. So some of our clients will engage us when they are first thinking of buying a new business or moving into a new territory. Or merger and acquisition or whatever. M&A, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So they're doing their risk and their threat assessments before that even happens. You know, if they know that they're going to be building a particular application for a particular marketplace in a particular geography, yeah. they want to know what the risks are in that area. They want to know what the threats are. They want to understand that before they start the build. But it must be infuriating for you because everyone, I don't know about you, but I get messages on LinkedIn all the time from GDR specialists. I don't know what a GDR specialist is. When you start talking about GDPR and you think, well, actually, you haven't got your original ducks in a row before you can start talking about GDPR. All of your governance isn't aligned yet. Before you even start getting to that stage. I think that comes back to your previous question, though, which was um, when you've got continuous development and all that sort of good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to pick you up on a point you mentioned earlier, which is go back to 2005. Yeah, mm -hmm. which is whether it's three-month release cycles or three hours or three days, whatever it is, yeah. One of the fundamentals is the fact that, again, we're seen as inhibitors of time to market, quite frankly. So but I'm going to go back to 2005. In 2005, we still had that... When we talk about developers, they were the guys who had Visual Studio. Yeah. That was it. That was their development kit, apart from maybe the guy who had VI developing his stuff from scratch. Now... A lot of stuff, which is the commercial land, which is in the trading floors, is built from community-derived code. So it's like, you know, the stable door's long since slammed shut. The horse is well over the top of the hill. But the fact is, we're relying on this stuff to go to work. True. And I think there's a place there as well. We, we've seen with uh, the Bank of England, the PRA, the FCA, and regulators in other areas. They're quite aware that the resiliency issue is not necessarily a financial one. It's... There's big threats out there, and this is what our banks and our industries and our infrastructure is looking like. There's a systemic risk there, and mm -hmm. we need to deal with that. And that's why the likes of the Bank of England with their CBEST have jumped all over this, and they're saying, we know this is what an attack looks like from this particular actor. Sure. We're going to test these out, and we're going to make sure all of these stacks and these payment systems and this architecture is actually properly resilient to this. Because if we use, okay, let's use OpenSSL as an example. When Heartbleed was discovered... You think, well, the presumption from the whole of the industry is everyone's going to patch now, right now, today. The patch is available. It's all right. We know what it is. Here's the patch. It's fixed. Don't worry, it'll go away. But you know that there are still systems, 800 days plus, commercially air-gapped systems, which are still unpatched. And that's the same, not just for OpenSSL, but a huge amount of security vulnerabilities. And 
it's trying to work with the risk owners in those organisations to take responsibility for it. I think it's actually much broader than that. We talked about IAT. Let's talk about IAT. Yep. Let's talk about um, MRI scanners for um, contracts don't allow people to update their systems because if they do, they breach the warranty. You know, this is a government question that says, from now on, as a government, you've got to say any IoT that's sold within a market space has to reach these standards. Mm. You have to say it is no longer allowed to restrict contracts that prevent somebody from having a good security posture. So it's involving a much, much broader audience of that to increase security. But, But you're working in sectors where you're coming across myriad embedded devices which are treated differently to the server on the other side of the room where there might be some sanity and some guidance around how you treat a a Solaris box or a Linux box, but then you've got an embedded box, which you know is probably running BSD or Linux or whatever, and the same housekeeping isn't allocated to that. I think it's a scary world for some people. Uh, I'm not sure people understand it well enough. Because it's red and it has flashing lights, therefore it's not a server. Exactly. And Terry and I have worked on engagements where it's taken up well over 50% of their architecture, their estate, and it's still treated like that. These scary UTM devices. Yeah. And they're thinking, okay, well, I need to have an N plus one in case it falls over, but they don't think about how they manage it. Yeah, yeah. Or they're reliant on a tarball sent by a device manufacturer. Yeah. And that's partly a market problem as well, because, you know, we understand the enterprise. We're getting better at enterprise. Sure. But above and beyond that, you know, the actual market's still quite immature, um, and there needs to be a lot more work in there. The Gartner frameworks, I mean, they do bring a level of maturity to that, don't they? I'd like to think so, because, uh, you know, I'd like to think that we actually have thought this through. I think to one of the points that was made just then about the relative immaturity in that space, I think is a good example, which, you know, if you look at the WannaCry thing, mm-hmm. which is if you kind of adopt, you consume all these CVSS alerts from XYZ vendor or whatever, and in the, in the, so this thing comes through and it's a nine, shall we say, on a sliding scale of 10. Okay, well, what does that mean in the context of an MRI scanner? I've got no idea. Am I even getting those types of alerts the answer to that one is no so i mean there's an example of what is a traditional it response to an it problem and then you put it in the context of iot in this case heart scanners that are supposedly as you say up 24 7 because they actually do a job that keeps people well not keeps people alive but it's fundamental to kind of protecting individuals yeah and we're applying an iot practice to that it doesn't work no Integration. I know. But then, you know, I felt safer looking back at sort of like 1999, 2000 model where an IoT device, well, it wasn't called IoT, it was a base OS. But now IoT is becoming even more complicated. Because if you look at a lot of the IoT manufacturers, they're providing a device which has multiple Ethernet ports, multiple Wi Fi ports. It's using some weird and wonderful community managed distro for doing the management. It's MQQT for doing all the message broking stuff. It's very, very complicated. And then on the back end of it, people want to try and apply business rules to this stuff. Yeah. Terry, you look like you, you've got something serious to say. <laughs> no, I think I was going to talk about the kind of uh, the industry response to this problem. And I think it depends on which way you come at it. If you come at it from an IT perspective, mm-hmm. and we can touch on what that means, and then you come at it from a production where, you know, these guys like your, your Siemens of the world, you know, they've been operating in that space yeah. for quite some time. But then you look at it from an IT standpoint, which is, okay, let's have a look. So, for example, I've got a... Not going to name a vendor, but a big box that sits there and basically doesn't talk IoT protocols. Well, actually, my IoT security product now for you 
is on our network device box that can actually talk some of those protocols. It can only see what goes over. Is that really a problem to the solution? But, but, but also, many of these IoT devices aren't always going to be on. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's difficult. I don't mean from a monitoring perspective. If you've got a device that isn't always on, how do you keep the thing up to date when it calls home, does it, whatever? I keep coming back to the point with many vendors where they say, you're going to deploy these devices for 10 years. And I'm, I'm looking with horror at them from a development perspective. And they don't understand what their stat looks like. But we've got to secure it. But I, on this one, I want to ask a question to Rob. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so in, in this space, I mean, we've done quite a bit of this work. But in terms of, and, and I, I keep coming back to it. I mean, we're talking around half solutions to the problem. Okay, but in this space, it, fundamentally for me, it boils back to taking a step back and actually looking at what are those real threats. Okay, and in terms of being able to answer what are those real threats, it's not what are the vendors pumping in terms of feeds or basically arbitrary kind of reports around something that happened in X environment in X country. It really is about having that quality of intelligence to actually put it in context. So, for example, is somebody really out there looking at mm-hmm. MRI scanners and they've got an exploit and they want to hit you, Mr. NHS? That's the real question in my mind. Yeah, and the word hit is important because sometimes I want to walk into a room and scream because if I hear automated, human learning, artificial, you know, around these ML? things. Oh, yeah. Well, this is assumption that this is the elastoplast over a massive gaping wound. It's uh, clueless. It, it, it hurts me. And you, you can't do intelligence work and you can't work out most likely attack scenarios, most dangerous attack scenarios, if you don't understand maybe some of the geopolitical context of what's happening in certain places. Exactly. And it's humans that do that. I'm all for people wanting to save money and trying to automate things, but there's nothing wrong and there will never be anything wrong and the world's greatest problems will only ever be served by clever people sitting in a room together with a whiteboard. Mm-hmm. And I will stand by that and I think that's why what we do around threat intelligence and... I mean, ML, ML will give you basic trending. Yeah. It will tell you what's hot, what's not. Is that trendy or trending? Trendy, trending. And again, it has its place as part of a platform resilience, but not when it comes to problem solving. Exactly. Not when it comes to problem solving. Not when it comes to relating something to a business. Not when it's trying to bring together different data sets that were, you know, very, very far apart. And some of them isn't even data sets, it's empirical evidence, you know, bringing those together. Only clever people relate it to business, exercise it out. For me, that's that's the only way you can do it. Mr. Bevington, you're, you look like you're about to pump. Um, I think on this one, though, Rob, I mean, again, we just highlight another challenge and an issue in this space, which is how do we get those intelligent people and how do we integrate them into our organisations? And actually, quite frankly, who are they? Yeah, well, we need to look outside of where we're currently looking. I mean, for me, I come from a military background. There are many, many people in military, civil service who are just intelligence analysts or research analysts these are just clever people i see i see this coming out of israel as well you know exactly the same they've done national service they've worked in a communication signals role mm-hmm. and then you know they do startups yeah um intelligence operators from people like from my sort of background who can answer these questions who at the end of the day mathematicians engineers people that know how to use analytical methodologies to look for an answer. You know, some of the biggest problems around cybersecurity are actually being answered by mathematicians and engineers and not by cybersecurity or IT experts. 
I'm going to wrap this up. Rob, thanks very much for taking time. Thank you, sir. Terry Babington, thank you. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Rob. Thank you to the three experts from Gartner's EMEA Security Consulting Practice, Lead Terry Bebbington, Head of Intelligence Robert Dartnell, and Technical Director Richard Morell, for an insightful and thought-provoking discussion. If you have not already, check out Part 1 and our other great Gartner ThinkCast conversations at gartner.com slash podcasts. You can also subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. And make sure to check out the Gartner webinars at gartner.com slash webinars. For Gartner ThinkCast, I'm Scott Smith. Thanks for listening.